Hi, and welcome to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. In this episode, I talk with Megan Gilger of The Fresh Exchange about the many benefits of gardening, like community building, learning about nature, learning about yourself, as well as, of course, growing and eating the freshest, healthiest food available. We also chat about why we started gardening in the first place and what it means to us, how we can live in reciprocity with the land, chicken keeping, and the challenges and rewards of gardening with kids. Enjoy! I have Megan Gilger of the Fresh Exchange on the podcast today here to talk about gardening and all the things related to gardening. So I'm Megan Gilger and I have been blogging at Fresh Exchange for over 13 years now and I have slowly transitioned my business to after my kids were or my son was born. I transitioned the business from being more lifestyle focused to being specific to garden and how we can connect back to nature. There's a long story behind why, and um, it, it, I have been slowly transitioning it into a space that really focuses solely on gardening and why it's so important both to ourselves and to nature. And I'm a third generation gardener, so it was something that just came natural. I grew up around it and it was something that as a parent was deeply healing and help, helpful, like through the process of understanding who I was after I be- became a mother. And so it, it's been fun to watch and help others do the same. We have a podcast, uh, online community, we do courses, all the stuff um and i have the approach that we can really work with nature and more than just organic but you really utilizing what nature already gives us in order to grow something megan has been a big inspiration for me in my own gardening journey um as well as a really good teacher um especially in the areas where i struggle <laughs> um the big one this year being planning so i did your um I think it was in February, the, the, the garden planning intensive. And so I've been gardening since 2018 when we moved out to the country. And, um, I've always as kind of is like my personality just flown by the seat of my pants and (laughs) not done a lot of planning. But I think with like having kids, it, it becomes more necessary to plan. Um, I used to spend a lot of time like pulling weeds and that didn't bother me. But then with having kids, it's like, okay, you you don't have time to spend like pulling a bunch of weeds. You want to actually get into the nuts and bolts of gardening. So, so I did your intensive and it was, I'll admit, like really challenging for me. Like there were times I was like, I don't want to do this. This is too much work. Like, I just want to, I just want to put plants in my garden. Um, but I did it. And I think I'll have like knock on wood, but I think I'll have the most successful garden this year that I've ever had. It just feels really good. And, you know, as I've started to put things in the ground and move my seed starts um, out to the garden and put some seeds in the garden and like using my map and putting things where I said I was going to put them, I'm like, okay, you know, sort of begrudgingly, I'm like, I understand the value of this. Um, So just want to say thank you for that. It's been already immensely helpful. Well, I'm just glad that you enjoyed it because it, it, to me, it's like, 
I don't ever want to do those things either. So, but I have found that they are so helpful and, and it was really helpful. Like last year I got like the flu or something like right when I should be planning planting everything. And my plan was very helpful because, um, Mike, my husband <laughs> could actually like go out and do it with me. And cause I, it took me like two weeks to like feel like I had energy mm -hmm. again. And so it, it was like, so, so helpful. Just like and hand him like, the map, oh, say, here you go, I, go plant everything. Oh, that's so yeah. nice. Well, I, I have a question for you. Did you, in the, you know, the most important question that I started everything off with, did you, do you feel like you're going to hit the mark on like how the garden will make you feel at the end of it? Yeah. So I'm trying to remember now what I said, what I said, I would hope that it makes me feel, I think what I probably said is at the end of the season, I typically am like ready to throw in the towel. I'm done. My garden is a mess. Like there's two, I've planted so much stuff because without a plan, you're just like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to put that in the ground. And, you know, you continue doing that all season. So then by the end of the season, once everything's big and mature, I was out of room and like there was no space for me in the garden. So I think this year at the end of the gardening season, I want to feel, I guess, a sense of accomplishment in in kind of staying steady with planning and and staying, you know, on track with that so that by the end of the year, I don't feel totally overwhelmed. And I, I think I'll get there. I really yeah. do. I did um, without getting no pun intended, but too much into the weeds right off the bat. I, I got the Vago Gardens, which was a recommendation yeah. from you and a couple of other people in the um, Fresh Exchange community. And I'm really excited about those. I've always, I've pretty much always done in-ground gardening, but you know, with weeds and, and I live in Northeastern Kansas and our summers are getting really hot and dry. And so water conservation and like, is a big thing for me, you know, as far as like when you water in-ground beds, like the water kind of just, it, it doesn't yeah. always like stay like right on your plants and, you know, water the things that you want it to water. So um, I think my garden will do better being in those raised beds and because because they typically do a better job of like retaining water right and yeah. like yep. yeah yeah no I think it's really smart and I can tell you that I we have such sandy soil that like I even with all the work that I do with our in-ground beds uh, the difference of what the in-ground beds versus our raised beds need in terms of water is dramatic so that's good to know and I know that you prefer in-ground beds actually Right? I do. Said I, that. I love the challenge of them, but that's just because I'm that way. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with them too. And most of my gardening experience and because I also was on, like worked on a farm for um, a summer was, was in ground. So I just kind of like nostalgic for good. you. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's something different, but I like both of them. It's hard to choose. You know? Yeah. Well, I feel like I could, um, this conversation could run away without me because there's like so many things that I want to talk to you about, but I want to kind of keep it contained. So I want to back up and uh, learn more about, because I don't know if I know your full story. I've heard bits and pieces from your podcast and through the community, but you said you're a third generation gardener. So can you tell me more about like your childhood with gardening and like your family history as it pertains to gardening? I grew up, my grandfather, he took care of me a lot when I was like seven and younger. And he 
he would just, he grew this one acre garden in town in Harper Springs, Michigan, which is this tiny little town, like off the coast of Lake Michigan. And it was where I'm from. And so he, he just grew it, you know, like in the ground in rows, like very like farm style. And then my grandmother would can everything. And they were like, the original urban farmers. <laughs> um, it was really fun to participate. And I have so many just incredible memories of being this young child, you know, experiencing the garden and helping him, and, you know, messing things up and him having this really like, you know, kind way of redirecting me through the space. And, but when at that same time, like, when I was seven, he ended up passing away pretty abruptly. He was young, actually, for, he was 65. He wasn't that old. Um, my mom was actually my age when he passed. And so uh, it was a pretty traumatic situation in our family because it was, it happened so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so everything sort of changed when he passed. And that year we moved away um, later and moved to Kentucky. And my, I, my parents were going through a lot of different things um, themselves, but we had like some neighbors who grew gardens and I always like found my way back into the garden, even as a young child. And then when my parents, when it was in middle school, we moved back to Michigan and my dad started a garden and I helped him through the whole thing. and he we did all you know we grew tomatoes we grew lettuces we grew all the stuff and we were in farm country you know southern michigan's very much like corn and soybeans and so there was always like there was a neighbor across the road who he grew all his own tomatoes and we would go over and get them and like i always was learning different things from these home gardeners all along the way including my dad that he had learned from my grand my grandfather and then um and we did that all the way through like when I went to college and when I came back from college, I, every single summer, my dad always had some sort of garden that he was growing. He loves to cook. Like it was, it was always something that we did. They came back up here to Traverse city, Michigan. He like tilled up an area that was like 40 by 60 or something. And he just like grew this huge garden and my parents ended up having to move it. And I actually like Mike and I rent to their house from them because it was during the recession and they didn't want to sell it so i took over that garden and it really began my own personal journey of like tending my own space i'd never really done that i'd always done it beside somebody else mm -hmm. or it was somebody else's space that i helped in and i i loved it and we mike and i also like had a garden too before we moved to my parents house that was very small because we were broke as anything because we were two artists in the recession that just graduated. So um, having any money for food was really hard. And so we grew a lot of our own things, but it was all things I had learned. And from there, it was always this pursuit of finding spaces, that, like that connection of food and community. I just like had a lot of different experiences that way. And so when we came back here, I knew I had to start a garden. And I didn't realize like how much it connected me back to my grandfather, who really was like my second dad. And as a young kid, and I, it, it has been 
very deeply healing and meaningful. It's amazing how food has always been and growing things has always been a threat in my life. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, I always feel most comfortable being dirty and <laughs> out there. <laughs> Pieces of your story reminded me of mine. Um, my great grandparents lived on the farm that my grandparents now live on and it was homesteaded by I think my great grandpa's parents so my great grandpa was a farmer and a gardener and my great grandma was also a gardener so that I think trickled down down the line my uh, great grandparents their daughter is my grandma and she and my grandpa live out on the homestead farm and um and they garden. They've always gardened. And then I remember as a kid, my dad gardening a little bit. He would do like tomatoes and sunflowers is what I remember. He may have done more, but I remember those two things. You know, I don't remember being like involved in the process, but I just, I remember it was always there. Mm-hmm. And then especially as a kid, um, was always outside. And, you know, when we went out to the farm, it's just, it's a very special place. And, and I just remember playing out there, exploring every part of that, of that land and feeling very connected to it. And I remember always just having an interest in nature. And I think as kids, like we're just, there's some like innate pull towards nature. Mm -hmm. Like kids are just like ready to go when it comes to it. And then I think it kind of gets like conditioned out of us a lot of times as we grow. But so I kind of came back to my like childhood roots of being in a close relationship with nature and feeling very tied to the land around me when we moved my husband and I moved out to uh, five acres in rural northeast Kansas which is where we live now we moved out here in 2018 and um, so I started my own little garden which I have pictures like old snapchats of it is hilarious it's like It's like four by six and I lined it with bricks that we have. We have like a a pile of bricks that's been here forever. I lined it with bricks, did no soil amendments, nothing, knew nothing, cut some potatoes, put them in the ground, put some spinach seeds in the ground. And I always say they graciously grew, you know, I I think a few spinach leaves. I don't think I got anything out of the potatoes, but um, they grew. And so that kind of like ignited that spark for me or reignited it. And um, so just year over year, you know, I've like learned stuff and, and you've been a big part of that. Um, a few years ago, my friend, I'll give her a little shout out. My friend, Allie Happer, um, she followed you and she, oh, yeah. have you heard that name? Yeah. She really? like DM'd me. So oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so she, she recommended you to me. And I remember one of the first videos of yours that I watched was your, um, your, garlic braiding videos oh yeah talking about like that tradition how it's an indigenous tradition and that's it comes from indigenous culture and um so then just like kind of started following you from there and then so you know you didn't know it but you were a big part of my journey of like kind of returning to the land and and like rebuilding or and in a lot of ways establishing for the first time a relationship with the land here whether or not your garden is like a Pinterest worthy garden and, you know, whatever, it's still, it still can be such a sacred space if you want it to. Like during the pandemic, it was a very safe space for me. Like, um, you know, there was not just the pandemic going on in 2020, but also 
uh, like the Black Lives Matter movement and just lots of reckoning that this country was doing. And I was learning a ton. And so I remember, um, you know, just going to the garden and pulling weeds uh, and planting things and mostly pulling weeds <laughs> and like working through all this in my head and like, you know, listening to podcasts and just like doing a lot of learning. So I feel like it's been a very safe space that's held me, held me through my pregnancy. Um, you know, spent a lot of time out there <laughs> pulling weeds, uh, planting things, watering things during my pregnancy. So, so I'm curious how you kind of came to that understanding of the garden as a as a sacred space. To me, the garden is the easiest way to connect more deeply to nature and the seasons and ourselves. And I think that it's the easiest way to begin paying attention to nature. I think it's really easy to miss the cues of nature, to miss the rhythms, to miss the, the things that are happening. There's a whole conversation out there. I mean, literally, I can hear the birds right now. Like, there is a whole conversation happening that we don't necessarily, in our modern world, it's been almost like shaken out of us to not listen to that. Like, it's easier to keep scrolling. It's easier to do these things than it is to take five minutes to pay attention. And to me, the garden demands that we pay attention. We have to. And so for anyone who really struggles with just, like, feeling that space of like, something's missing. Like, I just, you know, my, like, you know, you're like going down all these routes of like mindfulness and all that. And I love that concept to take time for yourself to, you know, but I find that sometimes it's hard to, at least for myself, to find a way to really create that connection. And I've come back to this quote so many times in the past, like since I really began coming back to this and I literally just started a substack for my writing about Ooh, this and cool. it's called turning home specifically because there and I write in the first one that just came out actually today it's called about, what sorry I think I kind of cut you off the journey home is that what you said turning home like turning home okay walking and you turn back home so I realized this point it was soon after I actually came back to Michigan that I, I had fallen really far away from nature and what it can do for me and what it had done for me. And there, I talk about it in this post, but the whole concept is that, you know, well, I, and I read this quote from in Mary Oliver's Upstream, and it says, attention is the beginning of devotion. Mm. And I've really been realizing over the past five years as I've been teaching gardening and, you know, spending time on this, you know, 15 acres that we own that, that, well, I don't even like the word own, that we're responsible no. for, you know, um, yeah. that we tend, that we take care of, that is of our responsibility to do the best with. It, it was really dead when we arrived and we built a house and then, you know, I have been watching it come back to life in a way it never was when we found it. And, but I, in that way, I've learned so much about how intricately, you know, my existence relies on, you know, that all that exists out there, you know, and that I am so close to it and I am it. And I think we kind of like brush off that concept because it feels so new agey or it feels like, you which know, is very, so ironic because it, 
it comes from the past. You know what I mean? Like it, yes. it's funny that it's new agey because it's, it's, it's come back around. Yes. And it can feel sort of like this thing that we don't want to acknowledge because maybe we sound crazy or whatever. But the truth is, it, it is true. Like we are like 80% of our DNA is the same as a tree, you know? So it's like it, to deny that fact is crazy. And de to it denies something within ourselves that I think we're all longing for. And so to me, the garden is the perfect modern way to get ourselves back into nature, to pay attention, to listen closely. And when we do, we begin to start having this conversation with ourselves in a relationship that leads to love and devotion for the earth that maybe we didn't have before and a love and devotion for ourselves that we didn't have before. And I think as a result, what happens is it allows a healing to happen of the earth and ourselves that then can become bigger than even in bigger than we even realize. And when we're talking climate change, I think can feel really overwhelming. But to me, the garden is the perfect way as an individual to begin that relationship in a way like that we actually know and understand that we can heal it and and to have and it gives us that power and understanding so and i think when you're you know as mothers i think we understand that there's this this relationship that can happen with the land and there's a reason it's called mother nature and and i think it's true i think there's a healing of relationship that needs to happen and i think the best way forward is through the garden mm, i love that no, sorry, that was a I lot. That. Was a no, 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 no. It's amazing. I'm just like trying to like figure out where to go from that because it was, there's so many threads that I could follow. Um, I, I mean, I relate to that as you do when you're like an adolescent and an, and a young adult, we are like our, our truest selves in childhood. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of lose our way. We, we, we separate from that truest self um as we are trying to figure ironically like trying to figure out who we are and figuring out the world and then at some point we come back to that and I think very much I returned to I always think of like my eight-year-old self I returned to my eight-year-old self when I was like 28 and um began gardening and so I think you know not only does gardening return us to the land and remind us that we're a part of the land and we're a part of nature it, it returns us to ourselves and returns us to like that truest form of who we are you know it's just it's been such a a big part of becoming who I am but also like returning to who I am and I think maybe to somebody who doesn't garden or you know that's never appealed to them or maybe they find it overwhelming or whatever, maybe that sounds like too grandiose for, for something as simple as getting your hands in the dirt. I really think that gardening is so much bigger than just gardening in so many ways. Yeah. And that's why I like, you know, I created like a free course where it's like, just like, here, here's how you make an herb garden. Because once you do it and you feel that empowerment of just like wow like this made me feel good in many ways like whether it's like you put those herbs into your salad or you know you made something out of them in any way and watched them grow and cultivated them and tended to them there's something that just happens 
and it's it's undeniable and it's different for everyone but there's something that it, i think is unlocked in that process and there's no way that you can't if you pay if you're paying attention there's no way that you can't feel this new love and passion for something that feels just pure and good that nothing in modern world really offers and yeah it, it, it's incredible and i think for me like it's really taught me particularly as a parent as a business owner as like all these things of just being a human that everything works in a cycle you know there's so everything in life is impermanent you know you can't yes. you're either going to get the good things back and you're never going to be in the bad things for a long time you know everything changes everything shifts and it doesn't work in a line it works in a circle and and i think that that's such a beautiful there's so many points in nature that you know offer this system to us whether it be like our own modern calendar of january to january or you know how the clock works how the um moon cycle moves how the seasons move like it all of it correlates and it it's really and i think this is also where women are really like you know mm -hmm. unique we have a cycle every month it cycles through it's a circle like everything works that way and when we watch it evolve over time in nature and like see that you know how things shift and change year over year through this circle is it's really i don't know it just makes things a little less like of an emergency all the time you know like where it's like okay that's the phase of life we're in okay we're gonna accept that and like it will change again it will move again we won't be here forever so you you touched on climate change a few minutes ago and um that's something that i have a lot of anxiety about i think a lot of people if they are paying attention have a lot of anxiety about how is the garden how does the garden garden um serve as like a sim like a symbol of hope for you or how do you use the garden as a balm for the concerns that you have about climate change so when we moved like i mentioned when we moved to this land it was literally like it was a gravel pit it was gross like it was not there wasn't everything crunched everything nothing there's like no water it was it it was not exactly what I would call fertile land. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it was really dead and it was full of invasive plants. It was in the spot that we chose to build, that we purposely chose to build because not just because of the view, but also because everything up here was just dead. There were no trees in this one spot in the trees that were here. We, we went, we moved around um, with the design and what I have seen, and I committed when we bought the land, that it, we, it would walk away better than when we found it. And, and I, it has taken a ton of work, I won't lie. <laughs> um, but it never surprises me. I mean, I just watched a bird I've never seen out here come back. This was probably at one point, you know, when I learned that this land particularly was shared hunting ground because of its fertility for the Adawa and Chippewa Indians, they had a truce where this was free hunting land, you know, mm -hmm. like for both of their tribes. 
because it was so fertile. Mm. I, I was like, that sort of livelihood needs to come back here. I need to make sure that this land is better because of our existence, not worse. And I think when we can, in now watching it, like even three years with some of the soil out here, like it's amazing, like what has happened and we haven't done anything chemical. We've only used our chickens, ourselves, manure from local farms, you know, things like that and seeds that are native and a lot of native plants. And, you know, it's a lot of tedious work, but isn't any relationship, you know, that you're deeply committed to. That's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, to me, it's like this reciprocity that, you know, breeding sweetgrass, you know, really helped me understand like what this was that was happening. And it, there's this conversation that we start having with nature where I see all this hard work that we've put in starting to be reciprocated and coming back because I created that space for nature to do its work. And so it knows how to heal itself, just like our bodies do, just like anything does. You know, it's, it wants to live. It wants to, you know, it wants to, to reseed. It wants to keep going. And so all we have to do is create that space and, and dedicate ourselves to that. And it will come back. And it, it, it may not be the same you know, there are things that we may never get back, you know, but I think the fact that this whole land is green right now is, if you told me it would look like that five years ago, I would have been like, man, I can't imagine what it's going to take to do that. And what you're saying reminds me of a conversation I just had with my ecologist friend, Courtney Masterson, about the role of the human in tending to the land and in, you know, in your, like in your situation and your where, where your land was to where it is now in bringing nature back and how um, how we have a role to play in that. Because without you, you know, of course, your land became sort of desolate and degraded because of humans, but then it, it likely would not have gotten back to where it is now without the help also of humans. So part of me is like, okay, are we just, you know, undoing the things that we've done that have degraded and damaged land. But um, like, like Courtney and I talked about in our conversation about um, native plants and native landscapes, humans are part of the fabric of nature. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't evolve outside of nature, we evolved alongside it. And so I think, I think your story about your land and, and it's, it's return to what it was you know, when, when indigenous people used it as fertile hunting ground, um, is a really beautiful story again of, you know, kind of like, like a full circle thing of it, it was how it was because in part, because humans were taking good care of it, the indigenous people who lived on your land. And then when there was a land was being like taken from and not, not tended. So I just think it's really beautiful how I think your story kind of highlights that, like, the, we're part of the story, we're part of the fabric, um, but it, it takes us being beneficial parts of the relationship in order for nature to be able to thrive. Yeah, and I think that's it. We forget that we're in a relationship. And so that's where I think the garden plays such a key part. 
because I think it's just such an approachable way to enter back into that relationship in a way that we believe it's for ourselves, mm -hmm. but it, it's a trick. <laughs> which leads me to another thing that I learned from you, um, which is, I think when I first started gardening, I had this dream of like becoming a self-sufficient gardener. I, I had those expectations for myself when I first started gardening. Something that I learned from you was that rather than trying to garden with the intent of being self-sufficient, garden with the intent of, you know, maybe supplementing the food that you eat, but more come at it from a place of learning and you can use the resources that are around you wherever you are. You know, say your neighbor has a pear tree and you have an apple tree and, you know, instead of feeling like you need to do it all and have like all of these foods to grow, you know, you've got to have like the fruit trees and the full vegetable garden and, and the herbs, like lean on the people in your community who are around you, um, who are maybe growing something that you don't grow at the moment or that you don't want to grow or don't know how to grow. So I think that was a big thing for me. We were never meant to be self-sufficient. I want to hear your thoughts on, on that, on, on self-sufficiency and why it's maybe not a great thing and why, you know, why we should lean on our community instead. I think that it's, it's a thing that is very rooted in American culture. I like, because of pioneering, because of making your own way. I, and so I don't think the energy there is wrong. I think that it's very much historical. And I think it's a really beautiful concept. But I think it, it misses something that's so vital and so important about being human and being, you know, part of that greater web concept is that we can do less work, enjoy something, have a reality of life of like, you know, in the modern world, we, most of us cannot make money off of our land that way. Like it just, it sometimes can happen or maybe it can happen on a small scale, but it's, it's not enough to, you know, maybe provide for the cost of living these days. Um, it's, it's very expensive and, and farming is hard you know, it's very hard work. And so I think it's a really beautiful thing. And I have made so many amazing relationships by choosing to buy local food as well as grow a garden. It's amazing in the winter to not grow anything and instead get a CSA from a local like co-op farm. And I'm getting, I'm supporting all these people who are in my community that my kids go to school with that, you know, they're working really hard in their own ways and they're all doing different things. Like maybe they're raising chickens, maybe they're, you know, growing specifically one type of potato, but they also might have another job. And like, it allows these farmers and people who love what they do to continue to do it. Well, I can continue doing what I do and I love in my own garden with less pressure that it needs to supply everything. That If we don't get that, then we're not gonna eat it all. And I read the book, I, I think I read this book five times, is Animal Vegetable Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver. And it's her story over a year's time of choosing, they moved to their cabin in, I think it's Western or Eastern Kentucky, 
West Virginia area or Virginia, somewhere in that region, Appalachian Mountains. And they they decide that they're going to both grow their own food, but they're also going to only buy what they eat within 100 miles of them for one year. And so it's a really cool, she's, she's an incredible writer, first of all, but their family collectively does this book. Her husband gives all these like snippets of really cool information because he is a professor and her daughter does recipes and because she's a nutritionist now and or at that point she was going through nutrition school and then Barbara tells the stories and it's amazing it's an amazing book because and I don't know anyone who I have so many friends that are like oh yeah I read Animal Vegetable Miracle and that's what changed like started this journey I mean the book was written in 2007 it's so ahead of its time mm. it's unbelievable and so and i read this in 2016 and if that tells you anything like in terms of the amount of time this book has existed in the world yeah and the impact it's had and it i so it really made me realize we don't have to be self-sufficient we don't have to do everything ourselves we can be community sufficient and we can also grow a garden and we can also have a csa we can grow flowers if that's what brings us joy. We can just grow some herbs. We don't have to do everything. Um, and in fact, when we don't, it it opens the door to growing something else, which are usually amazing relationships and supporting people within our own community. Yeah. So I think if you're if you're listening, what we're saying is that the garden opens the door to community if you approach it in a way of openness and like not feeling like you have to do it all which has been some in my like this has been something that I experienced you know when I shifted my mindset away from oh I need to do it all like I want to fully support our diets on my land I made lots of really amazing relationships with people in my area which was crucial to me because we moved from um, a house that was like 45 minutes away so I didn't know anybody in this area so starting a garden and coming at it with the mindset of I don't have to do it all and this doesn't have to be, you know, 100% labor like this. It's and you've said a lot too. like the garden should be enjoyable. It should be fun because otherwise it's not something it's not a place we want to be if it's, you know, all just like hard work. So um, it, it should be a safe place that's enjoyable. So when you kind of come at it from that approach, you make relationships with people in your community who grow other things. And not only are you then benefiting from the things that other people grow and produce, but you're meeting those people and building relationships. And, you know, now that I have kids, those people have kids and that's, those are people who now care about my kids. And it's just like such a beautiful thing. And, you know, when you were saying like that self-sufficiency comes from like a settler mindset and, you know, kind of the, um, from colonialism, it's like, I, I think sometimes we romanticize that but their lives were incredibly difficult and life is so much easier when you can work in community with other people. And, and I think that's where, you know, particularly white people can learn a lot. I mean, in a lot of areas, but from indigenous wisdom, um, because indigenous people never lived in isolation, like, like colonial settlers did, you know, it's, um, understanding the, the the reciprocity not only with the land and the animals but also with other people the other benefit of leaning into community from like a climate change perspective is 
you know, when you think about it, when you get your food, say, all within a hundred mile radius of where you live, I mean, maybe that's a little bit ambitious, but let's just take that as an example. You are having a positive effect on climate change. You're not, you know, shipping things. You're not, you know, and if the farm is tending that land properly, then, you know, there's an ecosystem that is being taken care of. You know, I think it's so easy. And I think this is sort of by design, like biologically, but we tend to care more about the things that are closer to us. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, as as modern humans, we care about things beyond like our sphere. But I think, you know, it's a little bit out of sight, out of mind. But if something is in your, quote, backyard, you care about it a little bit more. It's 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 more kind of in your face. And so I think, um, you know, to kind of like follow this line of thinking with um, buying locally has a positive impact on climate change. It also has just a positive effect on your community. If people are supported for for taking care of the land, you know, whatever they're growing or producing, then that that's beneficial too. Like then the land around you where you live is it's healthier land. It's it's a healthier ecosystem and that can only be beneficial. Yeah, no, and it's so true. And I think that's the other thing with even just growing a garden is like you're most likely placing things that are the pollinators are going to appreciate more than the grass you were growing. I think Doug Ptolemy's Nature's Best Hope is one of the best books about that and his concept of some sort of national park, but it's like owned by people. And so mm. that there's more personally owned land than there is like state and national owned land. And so to just think that we can rely on that isn't enough. And we need to you know, do it collectively as humans that own, you know, all these separate pieces of land in our backyards and um, in homegrown national park. That's what it is. We just got our baby chicks, which I know is like redundant to say baby chicks, but for some reason, I just never feel like it's sufficient to say we got chicks. I don't know why. Um, So we got our, our chicks for the season. I just picked up 10, 10 little gals yesterday. We currently have six hens and we've had like adult hens and I've had chickens since 2019 is when I got my first four and I've got, I still have two of the, of the original flock. So they're, they're aging a little bit, but they're, they're my favorite rosemary and juniper. So I want to talk about how, about the role that chickens play in the garden. Yeah. So our chickens are super, super helpful. Um, we got chickens not for the eggs necessarily. That's obviously a great bonus, but I don't have like expectations that they were going to like, we don't like them to lay in the winter. or We don't do any of that. We just kind of let them do what they're going to do. And we're supposed to get 15 more this in July. And, and I'm very excited because we only have six now and we can have like 25 or something like that. I don't suspect all of them will make it. That's the 15. So we'll, so we'll see, but um, how we specifically utilize them is, so we can't have goats and things like that in our land here. Um, okay. And so the second best thing to that is chickens. We can't have livestock. And so I wanted to have something that was roaming our land and pooping and scratching and doing all those things. And chickens are a great option for that. And so they, their coop is right next to our lower garden. And pretty much from October to, let's see, March, 
we pretty much like let them have free reign of the lower garden and we just like open the coop door and our coop run or like the coop run and we just like let them go through and out and do their thing and they're protected in there and everything for the most part they don't fly they sometimes they fly out but then they just come up and visit us and tap on the window but um yeah they're, they're just like these like you know really helpful things because they add they scratch around they get all the bugs out and then they you know lay they poop everywhere like every eight minutes and their poop is full of nitrogen and it cures within six months and you know so but i don't really worry about it i let them go into march because i lay fresh compost over the top of everything anyway so it's kind of underneath it and that's heated and you know i don't that most of what we're growing out there we're not harvesting for like two to three months after anyways so yeah i'm not concerned about it but then we actually take all our food scraps and put them in the run all winter all year and then we have our compost on the back side of it and we just like shovel the coop floor into the compost and we let it cure for some more carbon and it seems to work so i genius and we just spread that like wherever we need it. Sometimes it's on in our fields that we're making of native grasses and stuff like that, or maybe it's around the orchard or, you know, things that we're putting in and slowly watching them evolve. But um, yeah, they're huge. They're just such a, they're just happy little things to watch too. I agree. Their, their energy is just, is, they're just fun to watch. Like we, I originally got them kind of just as like a hobby um, and the eggs were a bonus. We're not huge egg eaters. Um, and then was thinking, you know, okay, maybe I'd use their poop for, for the garden, which I haven't, but so, so our chickens don't necessarily serve like some great purpose. <laughs> they're just there and they're happy. But now that we've had them for several years, I can't imagine them not being part of this land. Like they're just, you know, I, I, few times it's crossed my mind like maybe you know when these when this group of chickens dies maybe we don't get more and it like breaks my heart and I can't imagine an empty coop I, I just I don't think I'll be able to do it and I feel like it's mostly a myth that having chickens will save you money I I don't think no, no. <laughs> it's funny to me when people think that I'm like I mean I know eggs are expensive right now but um yeah no we definitely spend money on the chickens we don't so, the food is so expensive and especially yeah. if you're getting like organic and like you're you know really thoughtful about it like it's it's a lot of money and yeah. it's but they're worth it <laughs> yeah and Just don't think that you're gonna make money off of them no unless you're like legitimately going and selling the eggs for five to seven dollars a dozen yeah and what the gummy rate is around you but i I just, I always just give them away to our neighbors and stuff. And so, cause it's like, what does it matter? Like, I'm happy as long as they're getting eaten. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just don't see the exact point and everything looks so green in our garden because of the nitrogen. Yeah. It's been really fun. So I, our kids are, are two and a half and um, this year has been like the golden year. I feel like so far for kids in the garden and kids with the chickens you know last year they were a little too young to really understand when we got chicks you know you can't squeeze them you got to be really gentle and and now they're 
at that age where they're they're more aware and they're understanding things. And so my son in particular, um, they both enjoy the chickens, but my son ha- is like a little workaholic. It's hilarious. He he will scoop compost into my wheelbarrow for me with me for like an hour. He's two and a half. And he's like, he's over there grunting. He's like, uh, but he'll stick with it forever. So he's been um, a big help for me in the garden, like an actual help. Uh, so, and you have little kids. So what's, what's your take on, on gardening with kids? I think my take is, is that you have very little expectation and that you both expectation of your garden, because they're most likely going to, they're going to pull things. They're going to like eat the tomatoes off the vine and bite one of them and then put it down and then bite another one and put it down or the one that's like almost about ripe and they're going to bite into it completely ruin it and it's not actually ready to be eaten and so and it's gonna be the one you've been watching for like <laughs> four weeks and you're like, like oh no not that one <laughs> then you come out and it's bitten by them so that's gonna happen they're gonna pull off all of the zinnia heads and without enough stem to put them into water they're gonna they're going to do these things and to think that they won't is just completely being naive um but I think that's the important thing is that as parents that we don't, you know, we guide them, but we don't make them feel bad about those things too. Right. Because they're exploring, they're learning, they're, they're in it for that reason. They're there because of that. And our job is to cultivate a love and a connection with the garden. And, you know, the same thing that you and I just talked about, about like it feeling like a safe space. And so it should feel like that to them. And one of the things that we've done is, you know, every year, this year, both the kids didn't, they weren't interested, but we'll see what happens when we get closer to planting time, like the actual plants. Um, I usually designate uh, one raised bed for each of them. And one, one um, my son's seven and my daughter's three and a half. And so they, the three and a half year old is much more interested this year. The seven year old is sort of like, I just want to go climb trees. Like I'm not really into this but then he'll come over and talk about it again and be like hmm did you plant those sugar snaps for me I think I want sugar snaps okay like, You're still you know I think it's just about like letting them find their way there and having zero expectation for it and that it's going to be some dreamy the kids are in like cute little outfits and everything's great it's not going to be that it's going to be messy it's going to be dirty your kids are going to eat dirt like it's but that's all about exploration and one of my biggest passions that i don't talk about very often is like teaching kids to garden because i think that it because it was so impactful for me Mm. i really love it and i actually am at our local like my son's school has a garden and i've been helping in their middle school program and because middle schoolers are so ready for this sort of information and they're so longing for it and it's really cool to watch and so i just love watching kids do this sort of stuff in the garden and just like find that exploration of self amongst it and that they can just own it so so i'm a little bit of a control freak and so i've found it challenging to like, I, I'm like you, I want the kids in the garden. I know how valuable that is. I, I know that it's important to let them explore and 
you know, pull the green tomatoes off the, off the vine and all the things. But I'm like, at the same time, like I need it for me. And like, this is mama's garden. So how do you, what would you say to somebody like me? Who's like, I get it. I want them in there, but also I need some sense of control. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's where the guiding comes into play. Like, you know, and, and it's an opportunity to teach empathy, right? Like you can say, Oh, I've been working so hard on those flowers. Like let's, let's leave them be and see what they become if we just let them open. And then, you know, maybe in a week or so we can clip all of them and make a really beautiful bouquet together. You know, it's not saying no specifically, but it's showing them that if we wait, if we, you know, and that, um, that it means something to you because it's important to, um, or say, you know, next time let's, can, can you ask me or, you know, something like that. Um, but I think also asking yourself, like, what am I gaining out of this too, you know, in the sense that, or what is my end goal with mm -hmm. experience for my children? You know, is it to, um, have something for myself only, or is that also that I'm trying to teach them to love this as much as I do? And that always helps me because there are definitely moments I have to turn around and be like, okay, deep breaths. Yeah. <laughs> because it can, like, I've had moments that have been very hard. And especially mm. so much of what I, my garden is also used for teaching and for my work. It yeah. can be extremely like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Priorities. Yeah. Like I caught my daughter today. She was like, had my cow peas I was so excited about planting I'd save them and she dumped them all into some pot over here in the house that and I'll never get them back and I'm like <laughs> okay, well, I can go buy more it's okay like yeah. even though they weren't the ones that I had saved and I was very excited to try and like it's okay yeah. she thought it was great and it was a wonderful Aww. experience for her. I yeah, I feel like that's good advice to take it as like an opportunity to teach them lessons in empathy. I hadn't I hadn't thought about yeah. it from that angle, but that's a really good one. And I, I feel like two and a half, like they're they're starting to understand that, especially being that they're twins. There's a lot of conversations about sharing and, you know, it's her turn now or it's his turn now. And and so they're kind of like you can see the wheels turning and like they're kind of understanding they're starting to understand, like, okay, like this is how this other person feels. So Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely so need hard. help in that arena. It is hard. Well, especially when you've, when you've started something from seed and like you, you've put a lot of like money, time, effort into it and you care about the outcome and yeah, it's just a learning process, like learning how to share your space that's been yours. So I'm going to transition to our wrap up in uh, Q and I, what is something from your childhood that makes you feel nostalgic as an adult? Oh gosh. Um, Every time I go back to Harbor Springs, where I'm from, there's this cookie shop that, um, and candy shop. The candy shop is right below the library. And I remember as a child, all of the books smelling like the candy. And I, I don't know why, but I just like love, like I, I, that one candy shop just has a unique smell. It's been there like, I don't even know, probably four generations. Like it's been there forever. And 
my great grandpa probably painted the sign. You know, it's okay. like it's been there for decades. And every single time I like open, I've like gone in there and like open one of those books, like it just like transports you. Yeah, like, and it just reminds me of that, like those days. And and then the other thing is the sound of a loon. It's like the most like nostalgic thing to me because I have memories of at my other grandparents' house. They had a house their house was on a small inland lake and um I would stay over and my grandma had these like lacy like little you know curtains and she they, you know she closed them at night when I went to bed and then in the morning you would hear the loons singing on the lake and like the sun would be streaming in the cool air coming in the window and it's just like every time I hear a loon like I go back to waking up in their house hmm. Bird songs are so nostalgic. For me, it's Blue Jays. It transports me back yeah. to elementary school and playing outside in the woods. Um, yeah. Uh, so I know you mentioned a couple of books earlier that, that have had a big impact on you. What's a favorite book of yours like right now? Well, currently, gosh, I always have like four books going. Me too. Um, My husband's like, how do you do that? <laughs> Well, I have one downstairs, I have one upstairs, I have one in the toilet, (laughs) one in the car. Um, I try not to be on social more than I need to, and um, and I read books instead. But I've been reading Catherine May's second book, or third book, I guess, Enchantment, and there's some really good stuff in that. It's not hitting me the same way Wintering did, but I still really like it. Her writing is just exceptional. The other one is The Open Air Life, and it's really confirming that concept of just like the importance of nature. And it's really beautiful. I love so much of like Danish, Swedish, Scandinavian culture and like how they approach nature. Um, I think it's something that we need to work on. (laughs) So I think it brings a lot of joy. Awesome. Um, What's something that you're grateful for right now? Um, I'm really grateful for just like clarity. Like I, I've spent a long time, like really looking for, ever since I had my son, really like trying to define myself and I've been going through and really focusing on myself emotionally and mentally and processing my past with therapists. And it's been really nice to understand myself in a deeper way that I always wanted to, but I didn't know how to do. And I really needed guidance to do. Mm. And, and I think, you know, going to therapy can sometimes have a bad rap, but I, I didn't have anything necessarily going on. And I just was like, I feel like I just want to work on this. It's like showing up for the gym, you know? Yeah. And I, it's been really great. It's been a really, really healthy thing for me. So. I love that. I I like to think of going to therapy like going to the gym for your brain. Yeah, yeah. And your kids will thank you one day. That, I know that you worked on yourself. Like, it's a beautiful thing. Yes. What's what's like a new hobby or something new to you that you've recently taken an interest in or in the past? Oh, that's a good one. Um, this sounds really weird for me, but um, I. Uh, I've really gotten into like actual writing journaling again and I don't do it for very long I do it for you know five minutes right in the morning 
and after you know once i have a moment to sit down after you know it's not like one of those things i do first thing in the morning or i'm not one of those people who's going to pretend like that happens with two kids it doesn't <laughs> um you know there's the whole morning routine and oh, then, yeah. and then there's the me time where my daughter is like okay i'm gonna watch a show for a little bit and i'm no problem with that yeah, and, you're like, see ya. <laughs> yeah, and I take my time for myself, and it's the, the first thing I do before I do anything else. I just like exit whatever's in there. Yeah, and it's a really nice thing because it's been—I don't know—it's just a really nice thing to do. So I always feel like I need to apologize to my journal because I tend to be really good about writing it when there's a lot of shit going on and in my head, you know, and I'm just like complaining or like trying to work through difficult things. Like I never, which I should do more of, I never write in it when like everything's going really great. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna be like, sorry, journal. Like you just get the worst of me. Um, And then finally, can you, can you let people know how to um, like follow along with you, get involved with the community? What's that look like? Yeah. So the community is really sort of an awesome way to just really deepen your experience, but you can go to freshexchange.com. We actually just redid the whole site. Um, and so right when you go to freshexchange.com, you learn everything about the community. Uh, basically, you know, the membership is set up where once you become a member, there's different tiers that you can jump into, but all of them are an all access pass, no matter what you sign up for, like you get all the courses, everything, so many resources so many things there like and then you get to hang out with really cool people like Lauren so um it, it's really fun and we do events but we have free workshops we have all sorts of things so you can go to community.freshexchange.com and you can see the free things like the free herb garden course the free um once a month monthly workshops all of that uh and then you can also follow along at uh on instagram at just fresh exchange all one word so and listen to her podcast particularly I know, I know but like even if they just go back to listen to your old ones the friday meditations are just chef's kiss okay you're making me want to like now i'm like i really have to get back to i have to find that space again yes yes as as you've heard megan has a very relaxing voice and she writes beautifully about nature and i'm always like how does she think of more to say about like essentially the same topic, but you do. And every time it's just so like soothing and inspiring at the same time. So, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Megan, so much for joining me on the podcast. I hope people enjoy this conversation. I think they, there's so much to learn and I hope it's encouraging to for, for like first time or new gardeners to uh, hear some of the things that we talked about because I think you do an amazing job of making gardening really accessible and approachable, uh, not just to people who have Pinterest-worthy gardens, but people who, like me a few years ago, were just throwing potatoes and and uh, spinach seeds in the ground and seeing what would happen, so. You gotta start somewhere. That's my yep. theory. Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. 
You can also find me on Instagram at Morgan Barrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.